You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. What is the only hope for planet Earth? Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org. Many people are worried about our planet with pollution and wars and starvation, moral issues and terrorism. Humans say that they have conquered the planet, but they have plundered the resources of the earth and destroyed our environment. The only hope we have is from God who made our planet in the first place. This is an excellent class presented by Brother Jeff Cave, and we really hope you enjoy it. Until next time, may God bless you in your pursuit of truth. I think you'll agree with me when I say that many people are getting worried about the future of planet Earth because of things which have been happening in what the last two or three years, really. It was reported today that there were 1,608,000 new cases of COVID reported in the last 24 hours. And that information is from the World Health Organization. So that's not gone away, has it? But there are more things that we are worried about. What about the war in Ukraine and all the suffering that's going on there? That's just one more. Wikipedia tells us that there are are over 40 wars and armed conflicts on the go in the world today. And then there's other sufferings which are taking place. We know that almost 10% of the world's population suffer acute starvation. That means they have virtually nothing to eat at all. Such is the state of the world. Now, we Christadelphians believe that there's only one hope for planet Earth, and that's the hope that's revealed in the pages of the Bible. We've just read Psalm 72, haven't we? A psalm which speaks about the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth to establish what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. We read in verse 7 that there will be an abundance of peace at that time. That's something that we need, isn't it? Verse 4 tells us that Jesus will save the needy and those that have no helper. And he will destroy the oppressors. Again, that's something that we need in the world, isn't it? Verse 8 tells us, His dominion will be worldwide. Just think, one ruler controlling the whole world. And that's what's needed. Verse 17 tells us, He will endure forever. And also in verse 7, 17. All nations will call him blessed. And verse 19 completes the story by saying, The whole earth will be full of God's glory. And that's God's ultimate purpose with the earth, as we shall see. But before we go any further, I'd like to consider the future of the world in human hands. I'd like to go back to 1973 and to Humanist Manifesto 2 and we're going to quote a couple of paragraphs from there directly from that manifesto. They said the next century, and that's the century that we live in now, can be and should be the humanistic century. We have virtually conquered the planet, explored the moon, 
overcome the natural limits of travel and communication, we stand at the dawn of a new age, ready to move farther into space and perhaps in a habit of the planets. Using technology wisely, we can control our environment, conquer poverty, markedly reduce disease, extend our lifespan, significantly modify our behaviour, alter the course of human evolution and cultural development, unlock vast new powers and provide humankind with unparalleled opportunity for achieving an abundant and meaningful life. Sounds rather grand, doesn't it? But have they delivered on these things? It's interesting that at the same time, approximately, when the humanists uh, published their Manifesto 2, that this book was also published, The Seventh Enemy, written by Ronald Higgins. We might ask the question, well, what are the first six enemies? If he's talking about the seventh, what are the first six enemies? Well, he lists them. Destruction of the environment, weapons of mass destruction, fragile national economies, serious moral issues, terrorism and finite natural resources. He says these are things which threaten the planet. And we note particularly the first two. Destruction of the environment and weapons of mass destruction. It says they are at the top of the list. But what is this seventh enemy? It says to all our problems must be added the seventh enemy. Our own blindness and the frightening inertia of our political institutions. This critical human factor is what makes me most pessimistic about the next few decades. He says too little will be done too late. And we ask the question, who was right? Ronald Higgins or the humanists? Well, we can start to answer that question now. If we move up to current times, we've listed, first of all, the things that the humanists said they could achieve or had achieved. We've virtually conquered the planet, overcome the natural limits of travel and so on. Let's just see how that's panned out in the last 49 years since they uh, published that manifesto. I'm not sure exactly what they meant by virtually conquering the planet. We do know, don't we, that we have certainly plundered the resources of the planet, overcoming natural limits of travel, modern travel. Why are travel industries in chaos? Well, you say it's because of COVID. But they've certainly not achieved what they said, have they? And what about the next one? Overcoming limits of communication. I suspect there, there's an, a reference to the internet. We can't really say much about it now, but we can show that the internet has created a world out of control. What about controlling our environment? Maybe a better description is we are destroying our environment. What about conquering poverty? Poverty, sorry. Nearly 10% of the world's population live in extreme poverty. That means they have nothing to eat and very often nothing to drink either. They say we can markedly reduce disease. We know that there are more than 80 known 
incurable diseases. There's not much reduction, is there? They say we can modify our behaviour. Well, they've got a point there. The Bible said 2000 years ago that today's world will be controlled by a spirit of madness. In that respect, we are modifying our behaviour. You see, we live in what the world calls a post-truth world, where everyone has their own truth. And we're supposed to think that that will work. Of course, it doesn't. And that's why there's so much madness about. What about achieving an abundant and meaningful life? It was the master of the new College of Humanities in London, when interviewed on the BBC about these things, this is his comment. He says, I future the post-truth world with undisguised horror. And that's from a humanist. There may be an abundant life for a privileged few, just for a few years, but that's the best they can offer. I'm sure we've all heard of the, the doomsday clock when the world is supposed to end according to the atomic scientists. They've produced this clock saying, how many minutes have we got to midnight? If you look carefully at the last entry, they're not measuring it in minutes anymore. It's a hundred seconds to midnight. And that was in 2020. I'm not sure what they're saying now since the latest war has erupted between Russia and Ukraine. That's what Extinction Rebellion was saying. They were demonstrating in, at London Airport. Are we the last generation? And they had a genuine concern. They thought that, yes, they are the last generation when they look at what's happening in the world. It was in 2017 when this survey was conducted, the Global Shapers Survey, and it was nearly 32,000 responses that this produced from the world's millenniums, millennials, they are the 22 to 37 year olds. And they list there what they feel are the top 10 major problems. Look at the first two. Climate change and destruction of nature and large scale conflict and wars. The same two that Higgins uh, highlighted years and years ago. I suppose we could say that they've changed places now, haven't they? Surely large scale wars is, is at the top of the list. And we'll look at that briefly as we go along. Let's just think about the, the war in Ukraine and what's, what's led up to it. It was in 2014 when Russia illegally annexed Crimea. Britannica Online reports heavily armed pro-Russian separatists seized government buildings in Crimea and with the support of Russian troops declared independence from the central government in Kiev. Russia formally annexed Crimea in March 2014, a move that was broadly criticised in the West as a gross violation of international law. Of course, that's why the West and really the whole world is very worried about what is happening at the moment. But Tanki goes on to say, with tens of thousands Russian troops massed just across the border and the memory of the 2008 conflict between Russia and Georgia fresh in their minds, 
the leaders in Kiev were forced to weigh any possible military response against the likelihood of triggering overt Russian intervention. That's how one cartoonist describes it. Mr. Putin comes along and kicks the door in, walks in and says, we are in charge now because that is exactly what happened. And they did it without firing a single shot. But all the troops were there in case that was necessary. If we move on a few years, 2017, this is Newsweek magazine. See what they say. Putin is preparing for World War Three. We read in that magazine, Russia surrounded by its enemies is readying to fight an epic war for survival. At least that's what Vladimir Putin wants his countrymen to think. Nearly every evening, Russian state-controlled television leads news broadcasts with videos of Russian planes in action over Syria, interspersed with images of NATO tanks and troops menacing Russia's border. And that's what Putin wants the Russians to think. Not true, is it? It's Agnew Grigas who wrote this book, Beyond Crimea. What lies beyond Crimea? She's speaking about in this book. She tells us what's beyond Crimea on the front cover of the book. There it is. The new Russian Empire. Which is interesting because back in 1850, Bible student John Thomas wrote these words. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. And he said that because he'd been looking carefully at the Bible, at Bible prophecies, which speak about Russia. And we'll look at one of them in, in, in a few moments. But that was what he concluded. When Russia builds up its empire, that marks the end of all things as we know it. Because the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is very near. Just a couple of quotes from Agnew Grigas's book. He quotes what Putin said uh, when he was in the Kremlin. This is what made Crimean residents, that's the people who lived there, think about their future and ask Russia for help. This is what guided our decision. I said in my recent speech in the Kremlin that Russia never intended to annex any territories or planned any military operations there. Never. And of course, that's what they were saying leading up to the war in Crimea, uh, in um, Ukraine, isn't it? We're not going to invade. We're not going to invade. And I think most people now realise that you can't believe anything that comes out of the, the, the Russian propaganda machine. Just another quote from her book, Putin's authoritarian style methods establish the Kremlin's complete control over the media and thereby create an alternative reality. What she's saying is, Russia will not stop at Ukraine. That's exactly what Boris Johnson is saying here. Putin will not stop in Ukraine. And the West know this only too well. Now, just coming to the Bible, the Bible tells us that Russia will lead many nations 
to invade the land of Israel. The nation of Israel are God's witnesses to his existence. And anything to do with Israel, we will find in the Bible prophesied as to what will happen. Thou shalt come from thy place out of the uttermost parts of the north and many peoples with thee, a great company and a mighty army. And this chapter, Ezekiel 38, goes on to describe in detail, we don't have time to look at it tonight really, exactly what will happen, how that Russia will lead this group of nations to invade the land of Israel and how that they will be destroyed on the mountains of Israel by the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to the earth. But note what the prophet says here. Thou shalt come from thy place out of the uttermost parts of the north. The prophets of Israel, if they looked north and to the uttermost parts of the north, there's only one country that fits the bill, and it's Russia. Moscow is due north of the land of Israel. There's another prophecy which tells us that the leader of this group of nations will be a master of deceit. I'm making known to you Daniel is being told, what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for the appointed time of the end at the end shall be. And in the latter time, and when the Bible uses that phrase, it's talking about the last days of human rule on the earth before Jesus returns. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. At verse 24 we read, Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper. This, to me, looks like a perfect example of Vladimir Putin, whether it is Putin or maybe one of his successors, we don't know. We, we have to wait and see because we, we've not seen the return of the Lord Jesus Christ yet. Under his rule, he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many. He shall rise even against the Prince of Princes. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But he shall be broken without human means. He will die on the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel 38 tells us. Well, let's come back to our survey again and the top two problems facing the world. Climate change and destruction of nature and large-scale conflict and wars. As we said before, we could perhaps change those two around now and, and the wars is at the top. But let's think about climate change and the destruction of nature. We read here that the number of animals on earth has halved since 1970, says David MacDonald of Oxford University. He says without biodiversity there is no hope for humanity. We have now crossed crucial thresholds. And another quote, this time from a professor from Cambridge University, he says, talks about polar ice depletion, a practical catastrophe for humanity. The time for action has long since passed. Let's think about that for a moment. This is what he said. The great white cap that once covered the top of the world is now turning blue. A change that represents humanity's most dramatic step in reshaping the face of our planet. And with the steady disappearance of the polar ice cover, 
We are losing a vast air conditioning system that has helped to regulate and stabilise Earth's climate system for thousands of years. He goes on to say, in my professional lifetime, I have witnessed the transformation of the top of the world from a beautiful ice-bound expanse of wilderness to a region now characterised by warming and melting on all fronts. These changes represent a spiritual impoverishment of the earth as well as a, pr a practical catastrophe for humanity. And there's his quote, The time for action has long since passed. It's too late, he says. We can't stop this now. Let's just give one example as to why he's saying that. We've discovered that when heat from the sun shines on ice, that 60% of that heat is reflected back into the atmosphere, and so 40% is absorbed into the earth. But when the sun shines on water, 90% of the heat is absorbed into the earth and only 10% is reflected. And we can see what's happening here. We, we've created what we might call a vicious circle because less heat, less ice means more heat and that means less ice and that means more heat and so on and so on. You see, We've crossed crucial thresholds, as the professors are telling us, and the time for action has long since passed. What about biodiversity? That's the wide variety of plant and animal life. David MacDonald says, as ecosystems deteriorate, so does their ability to provide the essential services that we rely on, thereby posing an existential threat to human civilization. The severity of the current crisis is on par with climate change, though climate change receives up to eight times higher, more attention in the media. He says, without biodiversity, there is no future for humanity. And then he says, the number of animals on Earth has halved since 1970, described by researchers as a biological annihilation. The key planetary boundary has been crossed. The Stockholm, the Stockholm Resilience Centre tell us, we have now crossed crucial thresholds. And the symptoms don't just affect the soil, but they affect species loss, shrinking fish stocks, deforestation. Let's just think about deteriorating soil quality. We read here that soil is the Earth's fragile skin that anchors all life on Earth. Half of the topsoil on the planet has been lost in the last 150 years. The effects of soil erosion go beyond the loss of fertile land, as we see here in this picture. It's led to increased pollution and sedimentation in streams and rivers, clogging these waterways and causing declines in fish, etc. And sediment from the soil erosion is a major water quality pollutant. You see, these things are all tied together. And if one is uh, changed, it affects the others. Fertile soil is being lost at the rate of 24 billion tonnes a year, according to a new United Nations-backed study that calls for a shift away from destructively intensive agriculture. That's what's been causing the problem for the last few decades, a destructively intensive agriculture, pouring chemicals and fertilizers into the ground so that we can get two 
harvests instead of one every year. This is what the humanists call an arbitrary command of a stern God to the nation of Israel 3,500 years ago, recorded in the pages of the Bible. God said to Israel, Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, and a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. One in seven is a Sabbath of rest for the land. Modern man just ignores that. And modern man goes one worse, as we've already mentioned. Let's have two harvests every year. And it worked fine for a few years, didn't it? But we see what's happening now. We are gradually destroying the soil which is responsible for growing crops. And it's another major problem. Back to the top 10 problems. I'd like to think about number eight. Lack of education. Because really, in one respect, that should be at the top of the list. Not human education, but education from our Creator. The Bible tells us that God created the world and He knows what's best for it. We could actually describe the Bible as an instruction manual from our Maker. A neglected book because so-called science has proved that God doesn't exist. Everything is just a matter of chance. But this is what we read in Isaiah chapter 45. Thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There's only one God, the God of Israel. And he says, I formed the earth for a reason, for it to be inhabited by beings who would reflect my glory. Moses describes God here in the book of Deuteronomy. He is the rock wholly dependable his work is perfect all his ways are judgment a god of truth and without iniquity just and right is he these are all the things that are needed in our world that's god's intention as truly as i live all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the lord Just compare God's knowledge to human knowledge. There's a verse in Acts which says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. From the very beginning of the world, God knew everything that would happen. He knew all about you and me. And what, even what we would think and what we would say, the Bible tells us these things. But it is something to think about. God says through Solomon, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. And there we see a photograph of a, a, a child one day old, perfectly formed in the womb. How? We do not know. We can't begin to know, can we, how that happened? David says, 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. He says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And anyone with any humility will have to acknowledge that, that God knows better than we do. You see, the Bible foretold the state of today's world 2,000 years ago. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in what we call the Olivet Prophecy. He says, there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. He's using the language of the Old Testament prophets. He's not talking about the literal sun, moon and stars, or maybe he is, but he's certainly talking about the political sun, moon and stars, the rulers. And then he says, upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The word means no answers to problems. The sea and the waves roaring. There's a description of the nations. The Bible says the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. I think... Men's hearts are just beginning to fail them for fear, are they not? What's around the corner? What is the future for planet Earth? And Jesus says, Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now the Bible not only foretells these things, but it also reveals how God will restore the earth to its former glory. We can describe it as three phases in God's plan to restore the earth to its former glory. Phase one, teach the nations that yes, there is a God who controls all things. Forget this crazy theory of evolution. There is a God who is in control of all things. And how will that be done? The Bible tells us through God's righteous judgments, and we'll mention some in just a moment. When will that happen? At the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that the nations need to go know, that there is a God who controls all things. And then they will need to know what this God is like. They will need to understand his character. The Bible calls it the glory of God. And how will that happen? That will happen through the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and his followers. The Bible calls them the saints. And that will take a thousand years. It's all laid out in the Bible. And then finally, the last phase is to fill the earth, not just with the knowledge of God's glory, of his character, but with God's glory. And that will take place when God is all in all. We're quoting from the Apostle Paul there. All people will share the nature and the character of God. And that will last for eternity. So there's the Bible's blueprint, blueprint for the future. Let's just look at one or two details. And we say that anyone or anything which does not glorify God will cease to exist in the end. Because the earth will be full of God's glory. So phase one. Teaching the nations about God, that there is a God. We did in Isaiah 26. When thy judgments are in the earth, then the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let favour be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. It's no use being kind 
to people who are wicked. It just makes them worse. It's going to need God's judgments to bring them to account. We mentioned Ezekiel 38, the chapter that describes that invasion of Russia and the nations on the mountains of Israel. This is how that chapter concludes. Thus will I magnify myself, God says, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. You see, God has said he will, he's going to do it, and he will most certainly do it. And then comes phase two, the nations learning about God's character, his glory. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord, because these things will bring peace to the earth. We read it in Isaiah chapter 16, speaking about the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. In mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, in Jerusalem, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. You see, it's all there in God's plan. The earth will be filled, first with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and then ultimately with the glory of the Lord. Let's add a little bit more to that knowing God's character. This is Jeremiah speaking, or God through Jeremiah, speaking to the nation of Israel. This shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour, saying, and his brother saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's concerning the nation of Israel, God's witnesses. But then we read, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall go and say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God in Jerusalem, in Zion. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. There it is. The nations will want to know about God's ways, and they will want to walk in his paths. And it's not just from Jerusalem that God's Lord will go forth, but from the whole world. Because those who have faithfully followed Jesus Christ in this life would have the privilege of teaching the nations in the life to come. That's the promise. And we can be involved in this. It's recorded in the prophecy of Daniel that many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel describes here the resurrection that will take place when Jesus returns, when people who have been dead, the Bible calls it asleep, for thousands of years some of them will be raised from the dead. And then verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. We're back to that symbolic language again. 
not literal stars, but stars in the political heaven, turning many to righteousness. It's interesting to note, if we go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we read these things. This is God speaking to the faithful man Abraham. He says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed or descendants. Here it is, as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. So some of the descendants of Abraham will be as the stars of heaven. They will live forever. They will teach the nations. And others will be as the sand on the seashore. That's referring to the mortal nation of Israel that will be in existence at that time. Then the last phrase says, Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. This is talking about one individual, one descendant of Abraham, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will possess the gate of his enemies, which means he will control his enemies. So we come to stage three, when all the nations will have the character of God. They will have learned about it. And now they have the character of God. And that's God's ultimate intention. As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Paul describes it in Corinthians here. He says, when all things shall be subdued unto him, that's Jesus, during his thousand year reign, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. When Jesus has subdued all the enemies, that's when God will be all and in all. The book of Revelation speaks about it here in chapter 21. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for all these things are passed away. God has made all things new at this marvellous time. So that's, in a nutshell, is how the Bible describes God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. Just as we draw our thoughts to a conclusion, we make this point. We have a choice now. Do we learn from God in the pages of the Bible? Or do we follow human knowledge? The Bible tells us the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. So it's God's wisdom that will prevail. Can we turn to Isaiah chapter 55? This is our last reference. Isaiah chapter 55. And we read there at verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, God is a merciful God, but that mercy is not extended forever. That mercy is extended now to anyone who wants to return to him, to be part of his plan. And then verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And surely we've seen that tonight. And then the prophet paints a picture, he says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not thither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, 
So shall my word be, God says, that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God says, my word will prevail. It may take time, because God is patient, but his word will prevail. So our message tonight to everyone is, read this book, read the Bible, find out what it's telling us. It's God's message to man. And if we do that, and if we strive to put its teachings into practice to the best of our abilities, we will be part of that wonderful kingdom that Jesus will establish when he returns to the earth. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen